This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours and thanks indeed to Edwina Grace who sat in on The Bottom Line hot seat for the last two weeks in my absence. Thanks to Edwina and also to producer Deirdre Drummy for keeping the show on the road while I was away. Well, I last spoke to you on February the 12th when we were returning to normal as the ravages of the last two years of pandemic life eased. At that time, while the situation between Russia and Ukraine, though thousands of miles distant, loomed large, most of us were quietly confident, I think, that common sense would prevail. Tragically, it hasn't, and the last 10 days have seen us all as individuals across society and in business, horrified as awful scenes have transfixed us. What does the future hold, firstly for the millions of Ukrainians caught up in the horror, but also for Europe and for our lives, our businesses and the economy? It looks as COVID preoccupied us for the last two years. This crisis for Europe and the world will occupy us for the foreseeable future. Through the week on KCLR, we've been talking to people from Ukraine and indeed in Ukraine and next week on this programme we hope to bring you the stories of some people whose lives and whose businesses have been turned upside down by Putin and his acolytes but as with Covid while the Ukrainian war will occupy us the show must go on This morning on the programme, we'll be talking to retail expert James Burke about how this sector has changed, developed and indeed adapted over the last two years and what is the key to success to this hugely important business area. Andrew Tobin, CEO of Carlo Company Strive, will talk to us about his company's latest achievements and expansion in the burgeoning field of cloud computing services and cyber security. It's the time of the year when the local enterprise offices in Carlo and Kilkenny select businesses to represent each area in the National Enterprise Awards. We'll be talking to Seamus Dorn, Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise with Carlow Local Enterprise Office, about the process and hearing from the Carlow Company chosen to represent the county's businesses at this prestigious event. And we'll be finding out about, about Kilkenny and what they're doing in this award next week. But first, before we came on air, I spoke with regular bottom line contributor economist Jim Powers. I was keen to get his take on events in Russia and Ukraine and how he felt they would impact us. Here's our conversation. Jim, before we get into talking about the elephant in the room, or rather the bear in the room, the Ukraine crisis, can you uh, talk to us a bit about the uh, economic data that was released on Friday uh, and the story that it tells about the Irish economy before this terrible event took place? Uh, Yeah, John, on Friday we got the final GDP and economic growth numbers for 2021. And um, they showed that if you measure economic activity using gross domestic product, which is the total value of goods and services produced in an economy, it expanded by 13.5%, which would make Ireland by far the fastest growing economy in the world last year. Um, however, as is always the case with Irish economic statistics, you need to delve beneath the statistics to find out exactly what's going on. Gross domestic product in an Irish context is grossly exaggerated in terms of its real meaning because of the presence of multinationals in the country, 
the impact that has on the repatriation of profits every year. And indeed, last year, the multinational sector sent out a net 110 billion euro out of the country in profit repatriation. That was by far the highest level of outflow we've ever seen. And that's indicative of how well the multinational sector is performing. But you also need to strip out um, these what we call intangible assets like intellectual property rights. And we've seen over the last four or five years a few multinationals bring in intellectual property assets into Ireland for tax reasons. They have to be included in GDP and they grossly exaggerate the situation. So if you strip all of that stuff out, which the CSO tries to do, it comes up with a measure called modified domestic demand. And basically modified domestic demand tries to capture, number one, what consumers are doing, number two, what the government is doing in terms of spending and taxation, and number three, um, the investment that's happening in the economy, um, stripping out this nebulous multinational activity. And that measure of economic activity called modified domestic demand expanded by 6.5% last year, and that was pretty much in the middle of the EU growth performance. And I think for most of us operating on the ground in the real economy, 6.5% growth last year describes pretty well where we're at. It's, mm. a, it's a good performance, but nothing like as dramatic as the stats would suggest. The other um, interesting statistic that was published in the last week, uh, and I've, I've said this to you many times in the past, that I believe if you really want to understand what's happening on the ground in the economy, look at tax revenues, because there is no greater indicator of economic activity than the tax that's being paid. And we got tax data for the first two months of the year, and it continues on the very strong trend we saw last year. Um, overall tax revenues, $10 billion, 20% ahead of last year, that's $1.7 wow. billion. Income tax is absolutely flying. You know, it's up 16.8%, $4.7 billion um, collected. And, and that's indicative, really, of the buoyancy of the labour market at the moment. Mm. And um, for many employers out there, I think um, it would resonate with them the fact that one of the biggest challenges now is recruiting, retaining and paying for workers. You know, um, the, the other, I guess, piece of the CSO data that was published on Friday, uh, for the first time they included what they call compensation of employees. That's basically what employee compensation last year, and it grew by 8.1%. Yeah, there is the sense, though, that... Um that was then and this is now because presumably all this relates to before Vladimir Putin rolled his tanks into the Ukraine and we're dealing with a, a whole different ball game uh, for want of a better description now presumably it's going to have huge economic ramifications yeah it's it's it's, it's quite amazing um, um, anytime I've spoken to you over the last couple of years you know COVID-19 has dominated our discussion really mm. Um, and we thought then coming into this year with the Omicron variant, um, you know, losing its effectiveness as a, as a serious driver of illness, um, we we're going to return to normality. And suddenly, over the last couple of weeks, the Ukrainian situation um, has imploded and we're seeing, um, you know, a pretty savage invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Um, and it's given the loss of life, given the humanitarian tragedy this is, um, it's, you know, it's, one feels a bit uncomfortable talking about the economics of it. But, 
you know, I guess we have to because, you know... Well, it's life, people's livelihoods. And, and, yes. But it is an economic war as well, isn't uh, it? Because it, is, it, it, is, yeah. it, is, it is an economic war. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I, the, the, the three key things I see coming out of this, okay, at the moment. One is the impact on inflation. And um, as you know, over the last six months, inflation has been picking up dramatically all around the world. And it's largely the legacy impact of COVID, supply shortages in many areas, very strong demand as economies are reopening and prices are moving in an upward direction. We sort of felt that as we progress through 2022, those distortions would gradually iron themselves out and inflation would come back down. But suddenly we've been hit with the Ukrainian shock. And um, there's a number of areas where uh, that Ukrainian situation, you know, is is going to impact. Mm. One is in food prices. I mean, Ukraine particularly, but Russia also are major suppliers of wheat, sunflower, seeds and so on so um, something off the order of 30% of the worldwide supply indeed ab- absolutely yeah. which is phenomenal uh, yeah it's, it's pretty dramatic stuff I mean Ukraine is the breadbasket of the world in some ways so um, and, and okay to date there's not sanctions on that trade okay per se but uh, you know that the Black Sea ports for example that the grain gets shipped out of you know they're under attack at the moment so there's that issue but there's also the longer term issue of the farmers growing the grain um, and the sunflower they are currently um, many of them in the cities fighting to defend Ukraine against the Russian aggressor aggressor. so obviously um, planting crops isn't top of their mind so that that's a huge problem and I think you are going to see that feeding into significantly higher uh, food price inflation a second area is potash um, which is a major ingredient in fertilizer for growing crops and uh, you know we import a lot of it into this country um, in the last 12 months the cost of fertilizer for farmers had gone up dramatically um, it's now going to get another serious jolt from this potash problem mm. so that increases the cost of food production and you would have thought food prices ultimately and the third area and I guess the most obvious one is energy um, Russia supplies um, over 30% of um, oil to Europe um, it supplies I think about 40% of um natural gas okay ireland doesn't buy natural gas directly from russia uh, but clearly with natural gas prices currently trading at the highest level ever up nearly 90 percent and this time last year likewise we saw oil prices this week hit 120 dollars a barrel and we've seen petrol at the pumps hit the two euro level at least here in dublin i saw it the other day mm. so um uh, that that is just going to feed into the inflation problem as well. And it's a possibility that the West may decide to stop buying um, its gas and oil or so much gas and oil from Russia because that would really hit Russia very hard. But then we're into a whole different order of... Well, we are, and this is the economic war piece of this. I mean, the, the reaction of the West to date has been primarily via economic sanctions. Um, I've always been sceptical, I have to say, about the potential impact of those because, um, and maybe I'm being a conspiracy theorist here, but I believe the Chinese will step in and they will help the Russian financial system operate. They will ultimately buy 
um, Russian gas as well. And there has there have been negotiations going on for some time about building a pipeline from Russia to China. And um, with Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia to Germany um, put on hold uh, before the invasion really happened last week. Um, there is a distinct possibility now that uh, China will accelerate that project so China will provide a bit of a safety valve for Russia mm. so that's what really worries me actually is the um, the role that China plays in all of this and with they've, Russia. they've largely sat on the fence today really haven't they? Uh, they, they have indeed well you'd have to say their bias has been towards supporting Russia mm. And they certainly haven't criticised Russia. And there was a view out there that the Chinese are a bit shocked by what's going on at the moment. Uh, I don't believe they are. I mean, there is a story that I believe that the Chinese asked the Russians to postpone the um, invasion of Ukraine until the Winter Olympics were out of the way. Uh, So I I would be very concerned about the China-Russia axis at this stage. So, you know, so in other words, what I'm saying is I'm just not convinced. I could be wrong, but I'm not convinced that these economic sanctions will ultimately have the disastrous impact on Russia that many expect, and China could become the major trading partner of Russia's. Lots of food for thought there from Jim Power. Always good to talk to Jim. And actually, uh, I spoke to him at some length beyond that, which uh, we a chat we had earlier, and we'll be putting that out on our podcast channel on Monday. Uh, and so you can get the full, I think it was about 20-minute chat I had with Jim Power, which will be on the Bottom Line podcast. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Andrew Tobin, Chief Executive of really fantastic Carlo company, Strive. Don't go away. Egg Shannon the Haranis Farlat, three Carlock is called Quinnig, Shay KCLOR. Shay KCLOR indeed, uh, Sean Pershale on Shaw until De O'Clog. Got through that little uh, bit of Irish link because, of course, it's shocked in the Gaelga and we're delighted to uh, support that here at Casey Laura. Text in from a listener. It says, COVID for the last two years, John, and now this. The poorer countries aren't even near vaccinated yet and not a word about it. The world's richest men, meanwhile, have increased their wealth by billions while the rest of us struggle to pay basic bills. Now the Russian oligarchs are siding with Putin. The world has become incessantly fixated with money, especially the best off. It's like they are all competing with each other for more wealth despite being multi-billionaires and it won't end well. The lack of empathy for ordinary people going about their daily lives is astounding and uh, there's a lot in that text uh, from that listener. And I have to say I was looking at Bloomberg um, last Friday uh, and they were talking about the invasion of Russia and there were a lot of commentators on and they were just talking about how fantastic it was that their stocks hadn't been impacted so much and um, frankly I was a bit nauseated by it Uh, and I think my conversation with Jim earlier, you know, Jim was very rightly putting the human aspect of everything that's going on I know this is a business programme but we have to think of the humanity first because at the end of the day as they say there are no pockets in a shroud. Moving on and end of that uh, philosophical piece from me uh, Strive is a fantastic Carlo company based in uh, Carlo as I was saying but also with offices 
Services. Around the world, it was formed in January 2019 when two local companies, T2 and vCloud, came together. And since then, it's been all go for the company. During the week, I was delighted to catch up with Andrew Tobin, Chief Executive of Strive, and I asked him to outline what Strive does. Strive, basically, we're, we're a local company based in Cardo. Um, we're a tech tech company. We we are we provide an alternative to the likes of Microsoft, Azure, and Amazon AWS. So, so basically, you know, helping companies move their servers into the clouds. And um, we also provide cybersecurity advisory services to clients of ours. Mm, so, two very hot topics there: the cloud and security. Let's talk about the cloud first. Have people, by and large, moved? their uh, operations to the cloud. It used to be disks and floppy disks and so on. Now it's virtually all on the cloud, I presume. Yeah, I, I, look, there's certainly been a trend that way over the last kind of eight to ten years and the pandemic has, has kind of helped speed that up even further, I would think. Um, like it's not an option for companies nowadays to have or wasn't over the last two years to have servers sitting in an office where people couldn't access, you know what I mean? So there was a, a bit of a, a story into the into the cloud and then like you know I suppose we were looking at European expansion and then there's companies like Journey that are very slow to adopt mm. so it, it is a bit of a hybrid as well you know, uh, that's surprising to me Germany slow to adopt why would that be? it's just a very traditional a very traditional uh, country you know they're, they're I mean even for us we're looking at Germany we're looking at a lot of the European markets at the moment and it's, it's everything is high trust. You know, you really have to have a strong, proven track record in that. You know, in Germany in particular. So I think it's for that reason they're just they're slow to adopt new technology. They're not into fads. When they do something, it's measured. You, you know. But a good market to crack because a, a huge population, almost ninety million people in Germany. So that must be squarely in your sights. It is. It is. We're actually we're, we're before. We're one step before that. We're looking at um, the Benelux region, Holland. Um, at the moment, in that you know, it's literally just an hour and a half by plane, uh, English-speaking kind of that Dutch mentality or kind of German mentality as well, very direct and straight, um, and very close to Dusseldorf. There, then you know, if we do start getting some success there, to, to easily jump the border and start working out from there, you know? Yeah, now we talked about the speed of change in Germany, a bit reluctant to change, but the speed of change for your company has been huge. Just formed in 2018 from T2 and vCloud coming together, you've had huge growth since. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've done well. We've done well in that, you know, I guess we were ahead of the time a little bit in terms of private cloud as an alternative to, to the public cloud. Cyber security, you know, there was talk of it back in 2019, but it wasn't mainstream. So, you know, I, I think at the time it felt like we were banging our heads off a wall a little bit in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, make companies aware that look, there might be weaknesses in their security, cyber security posture, or their IT setup, and what have you. And then ever since the uh, HSE, the back of last, things have just really kicked on, John. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've been inundated with inquiries from companies that have either been compromised, have, have had money taken from accounts, different things. Uh, it's it's absolutely kind of uh, you know front and foremost on the on the boardroom table now, or on, uh, you know most senior management teams. You know, mm, tell us the difference between the public and the private cloud. I'm kind of reminded of the the Stones song, "Hey, you get off my cloud." It, what, what what's the major difference? The, yes, the major difference is you know we we've kind of broken down to two things: um, data sovereignty. So, sorry, even, even more step back from that, John. The, so, 
public cloud is you can jump onto Microsoft's website, you can put in your credit card and buy servers. So therefore, by its very nature, it's public facing. Mm. Okay, private cloud you can't do that with us. You you have to call us. We have to you know discuss your requirements. Then we spin up your own private cloud, right? Based on your on your requirements, right? So it's not public facing. So therefore, by its very nature, in a very simplistic way, it's more secure. Yes. Yeah, so that, that, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and then and I suppose why do companies go for that? Then there's a, there's a number of reasons behind it as well. And that data sovereignty is becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue. You know, we have the EU Commission themselves looking potentially to put some data into us, and the reason being that their legal team are saying to the, you know, to their tech team, you cannot house data, uh, critical data or you know, sensitive data in the public cloud with an American provider, because of bylaws that Trump and these guys brought into place. Apparently, data can be routed back through American servers, etc. So there's, there's concerns there. Brexit, we've had issues where quite a, a lot of clients on both sides of the border are companies are comfortable saying we need data sovereign in our own jurisdiction. And the only way you can guarantee that is potentially going with a company like us. So we're very niche, we're very unusual in, the, in, in what we're doing. You know, we're, 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 and the other reason why I think, John, why we're seeing people come to us is that you, you know, if you have an issue with a Microsoft server, you know, what you do is, generally speaking, you, you, you submit an email ticket and you stand in queue and wait wait for someone to respond. If you have a 1,000 staff or 2,000 or 10,000 staff sitting idle, or your tills are down or across Ireland or the UK or wherever it is, you can't. You can't. That just doesn't work. You need to be able to pick up the phone to someone mm. and call someone. Yeah, that's absolutely. Kind of we, yeah. And that's where so we provide that 24-7 cover and guarantees then to any client that look you can pick up the phone to us any time of day and we, we get straight on it and and growth in that whole area must be huge you announced 15 new jobs just at the start of this month was that on the security side or on the private private cloud side of the business it's a mixture it's a mixture it's just kind of keeping pace with the demand and john to be honest um we uh, yeah we've gone from a small team literally you know probably seven or eight people in 19 up to 27 Today, um, we anticipate will be somewhere in around 50 people come the end of the year, and it's a mixture then of tech, tech, tech roles, sales and marketing, and so on, just kind of you know building out, I suppose, uh, naturally it's kind of going coincide with the demand. Yeah. Now you spoke about the huge surge in demand, which the HSE hack um, seemed to generate. Uh, that, of course, seems to be from common consent coming from the Russian side of of. The, the pond, so to speak. Um, you know, obviously, cyber warfare, information warfare, hacking and all that sort of stuff is very much to the forefront of people's minds now with the terrible uh, conflagration in, in Ukraine. Is are, Do companies need to be on even higher alert now in relation to attacks on their data and on their servers? Uh, I would say threat of attacks is consistent. It's there all the time. You know, I, even over lunchtime there, I think I had three or four calls from Sri Lanka and different places on my, on my phone. Um, inevitably, what will happen from this is you will have bad actors that are gearing up a story to try and, you, you know, play on people's heartstrings in terms of what's happening in Ukraine and what it is at the moment. So the angle will have changed, but the same threats exist if that makes sense right yeah so it's 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 an ever-present trash but maybe it just ebbs and flows in the public consciousness that's it that's it and it's really more about um i suppose you know just taking the measures in place um to to, to avoid uh, such threats 
I mean, we, you know, in Strive, I suppose we, 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 we developed our own kind of process in terms of helping small businesses in, in the whole cybersecurity space in that we do a quite straight, a straightforward assessment uh, for a company, um, a cyber risk assessment where we uh, kind of benchmark a company against the internationally renowned CIS controls of cybersecurity. And there's 18 different controls, 18 different aspects of the business that looks at in terms of weakness from that perspective. And then, you know, look, I guess, at least once a company knows what the issues are, they can take some steps towards remediating or at least the bigger items anyway, you know. Um, simply put, cybersecurity comes down to three things, people, process, and tools. Mm. So are the people educated? Or they understand, kind of have this mentality of zero trust? Tools, obviously, being your, your antivirus and firewalls and different tools that are appropriate for a business and process, then literally just, you know, that, that what are the processes within the company, what are, you know, the, the, you could have, what are email processes, different things. So, so they can be very simplistic down to quite details, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, delighted to see that uh, just in the past week, uh, your company, Carlo-based Strive, Carlo headquartered Strive, uh, I should say, won the best cyber security and compliance company of the Chambers Ireland Business Recognition Awards. That must have been very sweet, given the fact that your company is relatively new still, Andrew. Yeah, we were delighted, John. We were absolutely thrilled. Um, and we were up in Burlington there on Friday. Um, it, was, it was a bit of a surprise. And like you know, just to be in the room with you know, I mean, the you know, the CEO and senior team at Lidl, as uh, DHL, Zurich, um, Ford, Namona, uh, Vodafone, all these great companies, you know, were were, were all up there accepting the award, and it was just lovely for us to see, you know, as you said, such a young brand drive up there, which with all those big brands, you know. So I'm hoping that's a sign of things to come, and it's a it's been a real marvel for you know for us and the, the whole team at Strive. Yeah, now we talked about uh, cyber security and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but a big threat to the entire world is the carbon crisis, of course, and the climate crisis, something your company's taken very seriously as well. Tell us about what you're doing in that respect. Sure, yeah, yeah. We, um, so we underwent a process uh, earlier last year um, with a, another Irish company called Pragmatica. And what they did is they did, first of all, they did a... a carbon measurement so they, they came in assessed all, all aspects of the business travel uh, all that kind of stuff working remotely you name it and they came up with a, a you know a very detailed process audit assessment and they came up with a carbon number so that was our carbon footprint for, for, uh, for, for a given year and we based it on pre-covid numbers where there was a lot more travel and what it did so we were, you know just trying to make sure we were accurate mm. and then with the measurements then we had two options i guess in terms of uh, looking at reductions so we you know we, we chatted internally as a team and, and there was brilliant buy-in when everyone saw what we were trying to do uh, in terms of reductions and carbon budgets almost and it, with, a, with a longer term view to becoming net zero and we bought offsets then in the in the short term you know what i mean just you know we're, we're conscious kind of not to be carbon washing or whatever the yeah, term yeah. is but we are you know so we bought offsets then so we could become carbon neutral with kind of immediate effect uh, our data centers all that type of stuff then is using green energy anyway we only use green energy data centers because obviously we're very conscious in terms of power consumption that, that, that they're you know that they're using and uh, yeah just I think individually on the team I, I know myself uh, you know um, you know we think twice now with hopping in a car you know mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a Sunday drive anymore there has to be a purpose behind you, you know so it's just having a really really positive impact 
Yeah, the so measuring point. what you're doing at the moment and then actually looking at reducing it. Yeah, measurement is really the key for me. That's the starting point because, and that raises awareness and consciousness then, you know, as a, as a company and then as individuals. Well, as they say, what gets measured gets done. Well done, Andrew, uh, on your recent award and uh, well done to everybody in Strive. Thank you, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. Tough Alter wrote the rash to rash on sus. John Purcell with you here on The Bottom Line on KCLR until 10 o'clock. Retail is a hugely important sector of the economy, providing hundreds of thousands of jobs. Yes, hundreds of thousands of jobs across the country and defined by the fact that nearly every single person in society buys stuff at some stage or another in their daily lives. It's been a sector, however, that has been defined by huge change since the advent of digital disruption, even before the pandemic. Uh, you know, was characterised by many as facing an existential threat and the future of many retailers looked bleak. Then along came the pandemic, which once again turned retail upside down. With the restrictions facing retailing now entirely gone, I think, I thought it would be a good idea to take the temperature of the sector. So I caught up with retail expert James Burke of JBA Business Advisors, a company who advise and trains scores of retailers across a variety of sectors and someone who's been on the programme regularly with us over the years. I start by asking James how he felt retail had fared across the pandemic. There's been such a wide variation of impacts really across the different sectors. We had some sectors, of course, which traded right through and then we had others that were on a stop start or others that had completely reinvent in order to to stay uh, trading. And I was at a presentation there uh, recently and they were making the point at how much innovation in retail globally has continued. And an example they were giving was Amazon Fresh in the UK. So this is the, this is the just walk out technology, which has leaped forward during the lockdown. And literally, you register your phone and you go to Amazon Fresh for your grocery shopping. No tills. You can put it in your pockets or wherever you want to put it straight into your bag or whatever. There's no staff, uh, nothing like that. And you go in and you fill and the technology knows what you've taken off the shelf and knows what you've left the shop with and charged hence. So the technology, like if you take even simple stuff like QR codes, I suppose three years ago, you know, were QR codes a big thing? And yet now, out of necessity, everybody is using them. So what that has translated to in in retail, I suppose, in a, in a very practical way now, that some retailers have ended up with successful web shops that maybe never had them before. And then others are now the challenge is to get the consumer back into their shop because the consumer may have become accustomed to shopping online Although there is that bit of novelty now that shops are open again and people want to get back and have the experience. Retail now is all becoming about experience. Mm. Any retailer that has what is a very static retail environment, you know, that's probably not a great place to be. So we're seeing huge levels of innovation with communicating to the customer, um, theater or entertainment within a shop. Um, some, in some cases small bits of manufacturing going on in the shop just yeah. 
to make it a different experience. And I suppose um, a lot of it is reflected in the in the language because pre-pandemic we were talking, uh, I think, about the future of bricks and mortar yeah. um, uh, retailing. But now, during the uh, pandemic, you had click and collect and now you have bricks and clicks and the blend and so on. It, it's really wonderful and, and it's an exciting industry to be working in, really, I suppose, if you're willing to embrace change. Yeah, exactly. But even the language you're using there is interesting because a retailer pointed out to me the other day that click and collect has now become a problem. So during the pandemic, people were delighted to be able to go to the door of the shop and pick up something. Now people go and they do the click and collect and very often the branch might not have the stock in it on the day and it might be collected in three days time. And the customer isn't happy with that experience. There is now this instant fulfillment piece. So they're treating maybe a piece of electrical goods the same as a cappuccino and expecting it to be in store and to be there and then. And that particular retailer was making the point that some customers are frustrated if you don't have the product there. And then he he was actually making the point that click and collect might be, in his business, might be the wrong terminology. Is, is click and collect later type of, yeah. type of scenario. So it, it's changing rapidly. And a challenge of managing expectations, because again, that kind of stuff um, leads to people having to you know, carry huge levels of stock and so on. It means that stuff has to be transported around that maybe doesn't need to be transported around because someone mightn't buy it, which is environmental considerations. Very sophisticated um, level of a matrix, I suppose, of different choices people have to make. Yes, and of course, there's a there's a thing going on behind the scenes there, and we will all experience this at some stage or other within the next week. You know, you're going to go shopping for something in any category, and it's not going to be there because there are significant supply chain problems. Some of them might be legacy Brexit issues. Some of them might be the bigger global supply chain problems. But the positive there that we're picking up certainly is that some retailers are proactively substituting Irish suppliers that mightn't have been there in the past. And some consumers are demanding an Irish solution. So there is a greater consumer awareness I suppose of an Irish solution as well and all the positive reasons for looking for that so that that's changing as well so the, the sophisticated supply chain is there but some parts of it are actually broken and you will see over the next couple of years substitution in in ranges brands that you just mightn't be able to get anymore but substituted, hopefully, by something closer to home. Yeah, never before have I seen a bigger appreciation for local. Um, You know, that was enforced at one stage when you had the five-kilometre restriction on people's movements, and it was even smaller at times. I suppose the challenge for retailers is keeping that good vibes going and keeping people local. How should they do that, and how are they aiming to do that? I suppose the, the, to keep retail relevant, um, it, it has to be a sense of somewhere special that you go, somewhere from service, from the experience. Uh, a retailer in um, Ennis, uh, Willow, that clothing retailer, and they stand out, as, as many retailers locally in your area do as well, but they have things like when they do click and collect, and someone comes in, ladies' fashion shop comes in to collect, there's a glass of Prosecco if they want a glass of Prosecco. If, if, the, if the husband or partner comes with the wife, they have a, a man cave, I'll call it, I don't know what they call it, uh, where, uh, and a tablet there where you can sit, uh, certainly pre-COVID, and, and you know, 
look on surf on the net while your partner is doing their shopping. Innovative stuff mm. that helps to stand out. And I suppose that's probably the way of the future of retail. And and as well as that, it's communicating. Many many great retailers, you know, go through an awful lot of trouble to source product that is unique and different. And sometimes they they forget to communicate that. It might be to communicate it online or it might be to communicate it in store to say, look, you know, this is made from X and made by Y. All of that is becoming increasingly important to keep the customer engagement up. One of the things, John, that uh, has proved very, very popular and to, with businesses and that has worked really well is the idea of the business with permission getting the customer's contact details. It could be an email, it could be a mobile number. And, and of course, the, the caution here is if, if a business does that, if they overuse it, they lose all their customers uh, because they unsubscribe. But that has become a saving grace for a lot of businesses where, you know, to be able to talk directly that you made a purchase three months ago and now the business can go back to you again and say, listen, uh, in relation to Easter and their talking to you about something because the chances are you haven't stopped shopping with that retailer for any particular reason but you may have become distracted or you may have forgotten them so that this notion of directly talking to consumers as well now is four times greater than it would have been in 2019 wow four times yep. that's really amazing absolutely yeah so reasons to be cheerful for the future retail Reasons to be cheerful, I think, uh, I suppose the only caution is that um, it's, it's, it, there's probably new skills. Retail has never stood still, and I always tell the story about Fergie Quinn, God rest him, my former boss and Super Quinn, telling the story when he was 12 with his father in Dunleary in Dublin. They're standing in a shop, an old-fashioned grocery shop, with the man with the brown coat behind the counter, giving out about supermarkets and saying, it's all over, it's all over, the shops are dead. And of course, don't we hear that same cry today? Um, retail will continue to evolve, it will change, but there will always be a role for physical retail. Well, that's good to hear. James, uh, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. Thanks, John. James Burke there uh, with reasons to be cheerful for the future of retail, but change a constant uh, refrain. Now, the National Enterprise Awards will be held in Dublin's Mansion House in June, and the event sees companies chosen in each county around the country, all receiving recognition, with one ultimately being chosen as the overall business of the year. And we'll be following with interest as Kilkenny and Carlow have a proud record in this prestigious national event, which is coordinated by the country's networks of local enterprise offices and joining me on the line to tell us a bit more about the initiative is Seamus Dorn who's Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise with the local enterprise office in Carlow. Good morning Seamus. Good morning John, thanks for having me on today. Absolute pleasure. Tell us about the National Enterprise Awards and why something like this is important for business. John, the National Enterprise Awards have been organised on an annual basis by the local enterprise offices since 1998. So they've been going for almost quarter of a century at this stage. And they're a great opportunity to recognise the strength and the vibrance of the small business community throughout Ireland. They bring together the best businesses from the country in one setting and expose them to opportunity really for us to recognise the best that there is in in a small local business and Cairo has a great reputation within that competition. We've really excelled at it over the years 
and we, we were one of the great achievers of, of the National Enterprise Awards with well-known uh, entrepreneurs like David Walsh previously flying the flag for our county. Mm. And now I had to pick myself up off the ground almost when I heard you referring to 1998 as a quarter of a century ago, which is, which is of course, the case. I, I, I'm not disputing that, but it uh, doesn't seem like that long ago to me. And But it, uh, just back to the thing of awards, it really makes a big deal. It, it makes a big difference to a business, doesn't it? You know, morale and all that kind of stuff. And also profile and publicity and all that good stuff. It does. Well, there's two stages to the National Enterprise Awards, uh, John. Firstly, each county will run their own award ceremony, and they're, they're very hotly contested as well. We in Carlo held the hours on um, earlier this week, and we had 12 businesses shortlisted as finalists. All 12 of them were excellent. There was huge competition within it. So to even come out at that level is a great achievement in itself, and to be recognised as the best on enterprise in Carlo this year is something. But then people will go on to the national final, and there's a great opportunity for them to, to compete against the best in the country, to really measure themselves and where they are, and to recognise what they've achieved as well. It gives great national exposure to a business, and if someone wants to use it as an opportunity to, to promote their business, to bring themselves to a new national audience, that opportunity is there. But it also says to your customer as well that you're a company that is recognised on a national level and it brings a bit of prestige and it brings a reputation and a trust as well that does help a business to grow. Yeah, well look, um, we'll be talking after the break uh, to the Carlo business that has been chosen to go forward to the National Enterprise uh, Awards. I'm speaking to Seamus Dorn, who's Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise with the local Enterprise Office in Carlo. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Law. After these, we'll be finding out who the business from Carlo is that will be representing the county in the National Enterprise Awards. Lunch in our Facebook, our Twitter, August our Instagram, KCLR. KCLR indeed, you're listening to the bottom line uh, on KCLR. It's just coming up to eight minutes to ten o'clock. With me on the line is Seamus Doran, Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise with the Local Enterprise Office in Carlow. We've been talking about uh, the National Enterprise Awards and the choosing of the Carlow representative, which was done during the week. We'll be talking to the person behind that business in just a minute but uh, before that Seamus what are the kind of criteria on which you judge a business uh, for choosing it as a representative in the National Enterprise Awards? There's a broad range of of criteria John and it goes far beyond something as simple as sales. What we're looking for is a business that has a very defined growth strategy that has been innovative in what they've done and what they've brought to the market. They're trying to offer something different. We're looking as well for something which has potential and ideally potential to grow overseas because a very important part of the work of any local enterprise office is to encourage local client businesses to look to overseas markets. So if someone can show that they are being innovative, if someone can show that they recognise the need to develop themselves outside of Ireland and someone can show potential to grow their business over the coming years to stand a very competitive chance of taking part in a competition like the local the, the national enterprise awards well look joining us on the line is the man who's uh, who who must be kind of scarlet at the moment gary evans chief executive and founder of feed alpha congratulations uh, you're the business chosen to go forward to the national enterprise awards by carlo local enterprise office 
Thanks, John. Yeah, delighted to be here. It's, it's very exciting times at the moment now, so... Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Um, we've had you on the program before, of course, but uh, just talk to us a bit about what Feed Alpha does. You're in the whole online social media content production for people and populating their feeds. Yeah. So the idea behind Feed Alpha it allows customers, small business customers, to I suppose play and say on the the same level field as as big customers. So we let you plan, schedule, and publish really good content to your social media accounts. Mm. Um, that's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, and how long are you on the go now, Gary? Um, it's over two years now. So what started off as an idea has, has really grown legs now over the last six months. We've we've hired new staff. We've six more to be hired before the end of the year. Another ten next year, and we're, we're going in and after international markets now. So Yeah, and how many uh, people have you got on the books currently, Gary? Uh, we have a few hundred now. Um dotted between Ireland, the US, UK, South Africa, Dubai. So yeah, they're they're coming in from everywhere. That's the clients. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how do you go about acquiring clients? Because, of course, you said you're about two years on the road. You couldn't really be travelling around these places. So you've been operating virtually and doing cold calling, presumably, and getting out there and acquiring new clients virtually. How have you done that? We've done, I suppose, 90% of it through our website and social media. So it's a social media platform to help small business so it's it's a case of like eat your own dog food we're using the platform ourselves to acquire new customers at the same time so yeah and um what does this mean to you i mean it's obviously a, a bit of affirmation and so on but how do how do you kind of plan on using this platform that you'll get because you'll be up in uh, the mansion house presumably you'll make a lot of useful contacts well, and that's it. To me, it, it's all about networking. I mean, the, the Leo and Carlo have been been instrumental in the growth since we started. Um, we're we're at the point now where we we're moving to Enterprise Ireland as part of the HPSU, which is the High Performance Startup Unit. So, so meeting and greeting new people and new contacts as part of this event will be will be huge for us. It, it, it puts us it puts us into different markets as well. So. Yeah, Seamus, um, a great example of a progressive local company um, kind of getting out from Carlo, literally reaching out through the world using technology and so on. That's it, John. And if you look at what we've been through over the last two years with everyone very much confined to desks and behind computer screens, Gary has really shown in what he's just described to you there how you can overcome those challenges. And he's been able to go out over that two-year period and develop a business that now has a customer base on all all corners of the world, as he said, from America to Dubai and everywhere in between. And it's a great example of how a small business can start in a location like Carlo and develop an international reach. And we certainly would be delighted to see Gary's further growth in that regard. And we think his moving now to the Enterprise Ireland client base as well is a real affirmation of the business growth strategy that he has developed. Yeah, Gary, uh, two years in, where do you see yourself in another two to three years? Um, doing the same thing, to be honest, just with a bigger team. I mean, we're, our HQ is in Carlo. We, we've a sizable office there. Our plan is, is plan is to fill that, fill that with, with local staff. Um, so we have a big recruitment drive now to try and uh, attract people and, and bring them to Carlo to work there. Yeah, well, look, Gary, uh, best of luck to you and everybody involved in Feed Alpha. How many on the team now? Uh, four full-time, and we've about six 
part-time at the moment. With ambitious so plans to keep going. Very, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Gary, best of luck to you and everybody involved in Feed Alpha. And Seamus, best of luck uh, to you. When is the national final taking place? It'll be the 2nd of June, John, in the Mansion House. So we've great, uh, great expectations of Gary and we're all going to be keeping our fingers crossed and rooting for him and we know he'll represent Carlo with pride. Yeah, well look, we look forward to following the progress of uh, of Gary Feed Alpha and indeed every business in Carlo. Thanks Seamus and thanks Gary. Thank you John. Okay, we're going to leave it there this morning on the bottom line. Thanks uh, to uh, Gary and to Seamus. That's all we've got time for. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas or people you think we should be talking to, you can get in touch with us at the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com. You can listen back to this or any show. Don't forget, we left that extended interview with Jim Power on our podcast on Monday. All you need to do is just search for the bottom line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Thanks to all our guests this week. In addition, to Seamus Doran and Gary Evans we had Jim Power, Andrew Tobin and James Burke thanks as always to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks to you most of all for listening do stay tuned to KCLR do keep Ukraine in your hearts and we'll be talking about practical stuff we all can do to help the situation right through the week on KCLR stay tuned to KCLR we'll be back on the bottom line next Saturday just after 9 with more stories far and about business in the meantime look after your and each other. Stay tuned to KCLR. Keep yourself safe and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie